0: This is the Ed Milet show. Welcome back to Max Out everybody. It's Ed Milet. I'm super excited about today's program because not only is it a, is it timely, but I'm so fascinated with leadership. And I have one of the great leaders in the world of sports with me here today, and she's proven it recently as well. So The woman to my left, even though you're all listening to this on audio today, is Jill Ellis. And for those of you that have been living under a rock, Jill has coached the United States women's national soccer team for the last five years. uh, Only to 120 win and seven loss record and uh, they've won two World Cups. So that's all she's done for the last five years. But um, I'm curious about your whole life, not just the last (laughs) five years. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's
1: my pleasure. This is so good, uh, so
0: cool, so cool researching you. <laughs> one, of the fir- one of the first things I couldn't get over in learning about you was you didn't play, and by the way, when I say soccer, our worldwide viewers we're really talking about football about the yep. rest of the world, but for our US folks, soccer. You didn't even grow up playing, did you? As a as a little girl, when you were uh, in England, is that right? No,
1: I I uh, it was you know it's very much a man's domain over there. Um, so you know, in truth, I played in the backyard with my brother in the schoolyard with the, with the boys, but nothing formalized for for young girls over there. So uh, it wasn't until we moved to the states I actually played in a formal setting, made a team, got a jersey, all that kind of stuff. So is, is it's that, very different. Isn't that
0: crazy to think? You know, the popularity of the women's team, particularly here now, and that just basically a generation ago of players, a couple of generations ago, you weren't even playing over there.
1: I know, it's pretty remarkable because, you know, in, in many ways, England, you know, they've had female prime ministers, you know, they have had leaders, and you'd think it would be further along at that, at that moment. Um, but in truth, America, you know, they got on board early with supporting women's, you know, football, women's soccer. Um, but the, yeah, England was uh, was a bit behind. But now they're they're heck they're up to speed. They got a pro leagues. They've got uh, you know a fantastic national team. So uh, they're Did, doing it right.
0: When you were a little girl, though, were you over there? Were you wanting to come play? Like when you ended up getting over here, or was that not even?
1: Um, you know, I came in like I think it was like '78. My brother's uh, soccer team traveled over here, and I went. Uh, maybe it was '76. And then I yeah. remember when my dad decided to move here. And I was entering the last year of school um, in England because we finished school at 16. Mm. And he literally said to me, do you want to go? Do you want to you know, stay here? And we'll try and put you through boarding school. Mm. I was like, oh, hell no, I want to go. And, and in large part, because I just, you could just see the opportunities there were for women, mm. for girls. Um, There's no way I would have been coaching had I, had I lived in England at this point. That's
0: crazy. Because
1: it just wasn't a pathway.
0: And you went on, I mean, I, most of my viewers would know this, but I mean, you went on to UCLA. I mean, you're an unbelievable collegiate coach too. How many final forces you go to at UCLA? <laughs> Honestly,
1: I don't remember. It was like maybe seven or eight. I think. <laughs> <of that>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was crazy. I, I took that job. Um, I think my first head job was at Illinois, and then I took that job a couple of years after that. And um, just recruited really hard and got some great athletes. And I, I loved it. I mean, the school itself was a big draw, but I really did enjoy college coaching. When so, I when so I was different.
0: researching you, Jill, I. I'm, I'm not, a, uh, I must confess, I'm a huge sports fan, but like a lot of people in the US, I watch soccer, but it's not my yep. go-to on ESPN every single night, right? And I started to research you, and the other thing I learned about you is all this humility that you have, but it's a remarkable record, your coaching record. I mean, you're one of the great coaches of the last several decades, regardless of the sport. You truly are between well, college and then <laughs> two World Cups. I mean, it's remarkable.
1: I know, you, it's, it's kind of crazy because you actually, you know, you don't track your wins and losses and all that mm. stuff. In fact, the ones you freaking remember are the, the losses. losses. You know, those, true? Oh, for sure, those stick with you. I mean, mm. you know, even going to that many Final Fours, it was just like, oh, you know, you just, mm. you're so close. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, again, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying this because I truly do believe it is, I have good people around me and, Mm. I recruited great players, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all come together, and that's part of the job as well, is getting getting good things around you.
0: You mentioned your uh, dad and and your mom, John and Margaret, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm curious, because you you're, you have a compelling story we're gonna get into in a minute. What role, I always wanna know, I have the name of the show is Max Up, mm-hmm. so typically somebody that's been on my show who's just maxed out some area of their life. Right. Professionally, sports, business, relationship, money, health, whatever it is. And I'm always curious what makes this person.
1: That's you know, what,
0: yep. what 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 how do they end up being this way? And most of them have a ton of humility and, and I actually oftentimes don't even acknowledge some of the things they're great at. But usually I like to ask them about their parents. Yep. So tell me about your mom and dad and what role they played in shaping you.
1: You know, I think and I think that's that's one of those things when you look back on it you kind of realize, but when you're mm. going through it you don't. Mm. Um, you know, I think my dad is I mean, he's pretty remarkable in terms of just, you know, he moved, 40-something years old, moves to this country, so my dad has always taken risks. And I remember as a little girl, he used to say to me, if you're a good person, and you've got ability, you can always take a risk. Mm. And so I've, you know, there's junctures in my life where I've probably gone to the to the point where it's not the safe route. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think my mom is just, um, again, I think work ethic, you know, they put in 18 hour days, we were immigrants. Mm. My dad made 15 grand a year, my school was five. You know, wow. I, at, at times I didn't, you know, they just, they did a lot, and again, at those moments you don't. So I think them as people, their core values, who they are, generally influenced me. I think my dad is, he is one of the most optimistic guys I've ever met.
0: Mm. I
1: mean, I get a speeding ticket. He's like, oh, it's just someone telling you to slow down. I lose, <laughs> I lose, I lose my wallet. He goes, just imagine how happy you're going to be when you find it. You know, like stuff like that. So the, the guy is always an optimist. But they've always, yeah, they've been very, very supportive. And um,
0: Your face uh, really changes when you talk about your dad. I'm yeah. sure both of them. But your whole yeah. face, your disposition changed when I asked you about them. So they've just been really a positive force in your life.
1: They have, you know, and they've, you know, they dealt with hardship. My mom had stage four breast cancer and Mm -hmm. that, you know, things that you just see your your family go through, which a a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm truly blessed, you know, and I I really didn't appreciate them as much as I should have when I was younger. And now now I recognize the benefit.
0: True for me too, by the way. True for most people listening to this, I think. So speaking of risks, though, you just made a decision that to some people might think is risky just in terms of your legacy and that you've... I said retired, but you kind of corrected me (laughs) a little bit, but Tokyo's coming, so there could have been another huge notch on your resume potentially coming, but you just made the decision to step down as the head coach. So what what led to that, and was that a difficult decision?
1: Um, You know, I think, like when you approach a national team job, you kind of know it has a shelf life. Mm. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, and, and we're very used to this in America, where coaches stay in jobs for you know, 15, 20 years, and yeah. it's those jobs. National team jobs are slightly different. Mm. Um, you know, a, as a genuine fan of the sport and someone who wants to see it, I think always having new perspective and eyes, I think is important for the growth mm. of not just uh, your, you know the, the players, but actually the sport. But I think, you know, I actually decided in December that I said, you know, win or lose at, at this point, Um, I'm ready to do a different challenge Mm. like my dad you know when I was at UCLA and I loved it there and you know I'd sit there and I'd be sort of saying you know oh this this and this he goes you're ready for something different Mm. you know and it's not because it's, um, it's negative it's just because You've done it for a while, you've done it for so long, and now you want to sharpen another tool. You know, Mm -hmm. it's all about putting clubs in your bag. And Mm. and I've, uh, you know, I've done a lot of different things and always centered around coaching, but I'm just ready for a different challenge.
0: Did you feel like you were in any way losing the team in terms of and um, becoming coach deaf a little bit or parent deaf or anything like that?
1: Um, I mean, generally that happens. I mean, that's, you yeah. know, it's, you know, when you get a freshman in, high, in college, when they're freshmen, mm-hmm. they're sitting, you know, front front of the room, and then by the time they're seeing you, I think that's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when coaches, when players get, you know, certainly comfortable with a with person, I think that can happen. But I think, you know, we tried to keep it as as fresh as, as we could, and and I honestly think that this group of players always wanted to be challenged, Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think, you know, even in our trainings, we would make sure there was elements that would continually challenge them, Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, on a personal level, it's a lot of days on the road, which Mm -hmm. I'm used to, but you know, when you've got a 14-year-old now, and you want to, there's other elements. Everything comes into play in your Mm -hmm. life. um, Because I read where Megan
0: uh, had said she wasn't surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, probably not. I mean, I think it's, um, it's actually the longest tenured, coach of the national team that's actually been there. So, um, you know, it just kind of gives you an idea. Most coaches don't go through two World Cup cycles. Mm. And I really felt like at this moment, I'd finished a cycle and it was now time. I've I've been a part of three Olympics, two as an assistant, one as a head coach. So I've experienced that. So it was just, yeah, I was just ready to do something different. By the
0: way, congratulations. Thank you. I don't think I said that (laughs) in the beginning, but congratulations. let me ask you about a couple things on that. You talk about coaching, so let's just hit some things that I've been reading about and I'm interested. In. One of the things that came up with the with the attention the team got was equal pay. Yep. And um, I'm, so I'm gonna ask you some awkward things about this too because I'd really love yep. to understand this. One of the things I first uncovered was the lack of equality in your pay, uh-huh. personally, compared to the men's coach. Yep. Um, is there a justification for that that can be made because their viewership is? I don't even know this. Is their viewership bigger? What are your thoughts about that? I mean, the the difference in your pay and his, from what I read, wasn't just a little bit. No, no. And yeah. um, and you've actually won twice. Yeah. So, um, what are your thoughts and feelings about that?
1: I think it's you know it, it, it's um, the players have a have a natural platform um, because they're public figures, and I think as a coach, you, you yeah certainly you you work for an organization. Um, but, you know, I think I've said many times, you know, I think I was just talking at this uh, She Believes Summit and somebody asked me about that. And, you know, I, I, I kind of pivot to I've got a daughter and if she's doing the same job mm-hmm. with the same experience, the same qualifications uh, as a male, she should get paid the same. Right. And so, you know, I firmly believe that. I think it's, um, you know, th- in truth, I think the pressure in this job, um, there's no margin for error. I mean, mm. you lose a game and people want your head because, because it's been so successful. And the expectation is you win a silver medal, most countries celebrate that. Here, it's like, that yeah, it ain't good enough. Mm. So I think it's, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the pressures of the job, the um, responsibility job, yeah, they, they are identical. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't. You know, I work college so- college soccer, and I know the football coach makes you know right. ten times, hundred times what you make. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's justification, I think, for at times you know just the amount of revenue that they generate, right. et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think this, you know, this group and this team, and when I look at the, the number of fans we draw, yeah. I think, it, you know, it is something that needs to be balanced. Um, mm.
0: What do you do about it? I mean, honestly, like, so we all kind of acknowledge that because yeah. you are right. Yep. Even if there was a revenue difference, I, I, at least as a novice fan, every time there's a cycle like this, it feels like to me the women's team is more popular and yep. gets more attention than even the men's team. Yeah but there ought to be something equitable done about it, particularly with the leadership. What would you, what would the next steps be?
1: I mean, I think there was, there was two things that, you know, I, I personally, you know, one it was, yeah, it was closed conversations, you know, you Mm. get your agent in there and you get them Mm. and you sit down and you say, hey, listen, let's, Mm. let's talk about this. And it's, Mm. and actually it's not, you know, it's not just the head coach, if you look at the, the um, you know the salaries with within the you know male female teams so you're mm. advocating for everybody so I think it's you know it's closed door conversations and then mm. I think the other way and the ultimate way is you you got to win because yeah. um, then that you know ultimately that that puts pressure on on anybody to to make sure that they can you know I, I'm sure if I had continued there would have been you know a, a fair bump in salary to, to mm. kind, of, kind of just in where I'm at but um, you know you don't you don't necessarily do it for the money but you you want it to be right.
0: Sure. You want it to be equitable. No, no question about it. So I'm going to move all all to kind of coaching topics. There's 23 women on the roster, correct? Yep. How do you, how do you pull together a roster? Is it solely based on skills? Is there, are, do you do personality issues um, gelling together? Is that part of your selection process on the roster? Or is it just simply, look, we need people with a certain set of skills that blend together when you're when you're. I would assume putting the roster together is one of the most critical things you do yep. in that job.
1: You know, it makes, it's a great question because I think um, I think one of the things, and again, I go back to my father. It's always like make the decisions that are best for the team soccer wise. So people would ask me, you know, like the World Cup is it's not a roster to invest some, for someone down the line. Mm-hmm. So I really based it on talent first mm-hmm. and foremost. That was kind of my my starting point and depth meaning this player goes down this player you know i literally had if all three players on the front line go down what's your next so it's this part of a mathematical equation to selecting because you've got to have make sure you have coverage Mm -hmm. um but i think ultimately for me it was ability i think this is a group of women that um you know you've got young players in there but if if you're good enough those older players will accept you okay and so i think there's that kind of you know unspoken uh you know just in sport, that if you know if it's if you're 19 or you're 35, mm-hmm. if you're good enough to help the team win, then mm. so that's kind of really what I based it on. Mm. Um, so looking numerically at depth, and then also just at you know the capacity of players, and it, it was a process, right? It Crazy. wasn't something that I um, you know I think it was uh, coming out of the the Olympics. It was a decision to really explore a lot more depth and mm. and explore a lot more players, and it was almost they had to go through a gauntlet and mm. the ones at the end of it stood uh, stood tall.
0: Tough question. If you had somebody who had a particular, I remember they're a borderline player. It's somebody who's a borderline player, but potentially maybe their uh, political, religious stance, something like that, yeah. you know, wouldn't be a fit in the locker room. I'd read a couple stories where there were some borderline players that thought maybe that's why they didn't yep. make the team. Yep. Is that a factor in terms of, uh, could it be a divisive thing in
1: I think, you know, I think certainly locker room, you have to, yeah, yeah, you have to look at the locker room and you have Mm -hmm. to look at, um, you know, just in terms of making sure that there's not a disruption in there. Yeah. Um, Because if there is, it's, you know, it's going to affect everybody. So I think, you know, I think no coach would, would tell you it's not about, you know, the looking at the group and the personalities as a whole. I think, again, you come back to, because I've had some challenging personalities in the past, but they're also... You know, if you're legit and you can help the team win, and again, a team accepts somebody that can help them win. Yeah. If it's a player that's your, you know, 20th player on the roster, um, you know, you, you mm-hmm. make a decision that you think is, is right for the whole.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your style like? Are you a motivator? Are you a, you know, let's scream and yell or let's get no. it going? What is your, I don't. you don't strike me that way. No,
1: I think when I was young, you know, I think I was a younger coach, I was, um, I was demanding. I think I was... Um, Independent, you know, I wasn't as collaborative. I think, you know, and again, we all grow and we learn. And you know, I've I've looked and I've met some really good managers. You know, I met Sir Alex Ferguson, and Mm. you know, you get to you get to look at management style. But I think, you know, what I've evolved to is is a collaborator. Um, You know, you want your players to feel empowered and you want them to feel invested, and so you do. You know, try and put situations together where, you know, so for example, the, the system that we built was built solely, the lineup in terms of shape, was built solely on their strengths. And you yeah. share that with them because then they connect to their, you know, the buy-in of this was built for you. And so you create that. So I think my, you know, my style, no, I'm not a, not a yeller, not a screamer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked for a coach a long time ago, April Heinrichs, and she actually, I remember sitting in a locker room, and, uh, sorry, in, the, in her office, and a player came in, this player had really screwed up. And she just sat there and didn't change her tone, just mm. talked and the player, you know, the player left and, and knew exactly but she didn't have to raise her voice. And that struck me as powerful. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it's not about always keeping your emotions in check. I think it's how can you have the best effect. Every player is different. Some need an individual meeting, some need in mm. front of the group, some need, you know, film by themselves, some need it in the group. And I think that's that's a coach, you know, you, you learn mm. the fabric of your players and mm. you really try and uh, tack to to what what the need is, mm. um, but yeah, I also feel, you know, the team I'm dealing with, different than a college team. It, it's a professional team, mm-hmm. and I also think, you know, with a professional, there's a certain amount of responsibility on the professional, to mm. uh, to make sure that they also, you know, bring. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to be motivated to play for the U.S. Women's National Team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's something that should be. Out Speaking
0: there. of that, did anything that uh, the president had said gel the team? Was it a non-factor? Was it was there a rallying point around that? Did it create anything divisive within the organization?
1: Um, not, you know, not. Again, I'm not always in the no. locker room, and obviously, the players sure. have a lot of you know personal conversations. Um, I think for some of them, certainly, mm-hmm. um, you know, because. You know, it, it, that's a figure in that in that office that it's everyone has an opinion about. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be you know unnatural to people not to discuss and talk about it. Was it something that was brought up in you know a meeting? And no, I mean because you I, would
0: think so when you're on the outside. If you yeah uh, totally no, you're in that bubble, I guess when you're playing where you're really focused on game planning yeah. and getting ready. But if you were uh, you know a third party watching, you think, man, they're talking about this a lot.
1: Yeah, know? and and that's that's the crazy thing because when mm-hmm. you go into a World Cup, I think listen, if this was you know if this was in January or February. Yeah, there's there's less you know less myopic focus on what the, what the task is at hand. But you know when you go into that, it's it's all hands on deck. It's keep your head down. It's the task. It's the mission. You know, blah blah blah. Mm. So I think that you know the players, um, you know I think that's the beauty. I mean I was just talking to someone else today. I think you know athletes. C- People have to, you have to respect that they're more than just athletes, that they are people outside of that realm. And sometimes I think the rest of society just sees them as athletes and they should function just as athletes. Yeah. But it's no different than people sitting around their dinner table and turning on the news and looking at something and discussing it. That's mm. that's who you are in real life. And I think that's, that's going to happen within a team environment because you become like a family.
0: What about that? So I'm just so enjoying this because I'm fascinated by <laughs> it, right? I just think... I think sports like a microcosm for the rest of life in many different ways. By the way, one thing I observe about you that I've noticed with all the great coaches that I've had a chance to interact with in my life. I just did a thing with urban Meyer a few weeks ago and urban's becoming an, a friend and you know who urban is. A oh coach yeah. 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 And, yeah. and um, you all have a sense of uh, calm and stability about you. I think to lead big egos and big personalities, that's a, something school, requisite maybe. don't you think or just as there's a stability a poise uh, yeah. a presence perhaps that's required to lead people that are competitive like that do you think I, so
1: you know i i think you see a, i i think what i've seen over time and i was fortunate to have conversations with john wooden so there was a guy i think when when oh. probably everybody's in that mode of old school coach screamer yeller you know grab them face mask that kind of stuff yeah. there's a guy that always kept his his, his way about him mm. And so that was that always struck me again, but I, you know, I would agree. I think you know I'll, I'll share this quick story.
0: Yeah,
1: we were um, getting ready for 2015 World Cup, and I invited a gentleman who was a Navy SEAL, and I invited him in to come and talk to the team. And he used this analogy and he said, you know, when, when can I swear on show? Um, yes. when, when the show? When the shit's around you and everything is failing, in the, in the Navy they have a term, hold fast, stay true. And it goes back to the military a long time ago when you're on a ship and the storm was raging, and this is like back in the day, right? You had to hold on to something that was attached to the ship so you wouldn't fall off because of the waves and such. And then when you couldn't see the sky because of the storm, You had to rely on your compass to stay true to whatever, you know, on the compass. So hold fast, stay true. And I loved it. And it was part of what we used in 2015, but it's something that's really resonated with me mm. that you just have to make sure what you know whether it's the people around you that you hold on to whether it's your principles your core values so you hold on to that and then you never lose sight of really what the direction is <laughs> so I <laughs> you know really I've just, good. i have just it's just something now I've just I love it and he's um you know he's still a good friend of mine and is
0: that right yeah
1: I just I think it was really so I think you know going back to sort of urban meyer I think coaches I think one you know Players players are different. It's it's mm-hmm. not you know, and so I think they get their information and um, they're raised differently. Some of them, and so I think now you have to you have to figure out what's what works.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think your team and you are such a study for like what the and I don't mean to be over the top with this, but I'm I just. I don't like when people say, well, sports and politics should be completely separate, as if what you said earlier, like these athletes aren't also human beings with right. opinions and lives and families and the dynamics that go with that. And you watch that, it's almost like a video game, I think, when people watch it on television. They don't realize that perhaps one player had an argument with their spouse that day. Right. Right. There's all these things that mm-hmm. the stability of the coach, I think, provides. But one thing I wanted to go into a little bit because I think sports have been a catalyst for progress in the world. We can go all the way back to Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Billie Jean King and you go through time. This is an interesting time where, um, I'm fascinated because on your team, you have a collection, I'm sure there are people that have different political views. (laughs) There's women on the team that are in same-sex relationships and they're in heterosexual relationships, right? And one thing I think I'm surprised by is that, the light that was shined on the team this last time, that there wasn't more conversation about the fact that, uh, well, for like, um, that people can coexist that don't all live exactly the same way in their personal lives, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. to me. And why um, why things like LBGTQ rights weren't highlighted a little bit more during this last run. Yep. Because it's such an opportunity where and uh, in, in, even in your relationship, yep. where there's these prominent women that are winning and breaking through, but yet that topic wasn't discussed very much. Why do you think that is?
1: I, that's, that's a, again, another great question. I mm-hmm. think the, um, we, we, you know, we live in it. Gay, gay, the gay women, on the team, you live mm-hmm. in it, and so you don't really feel like at times you have to put it out there because it's you and it's who you are. Right. I'm sure. But yet, the people outside Mm. don't necessarily want to shine a light on it so you've almost got these two positions where like i feel like at times we probably have to have be more active in getting it out there so, uh, but when you live something it's like you know you you don't yeah. you don't go around espousing how great <laughs> you know working out is right, right? You, right you just do it right. so it's part of you yeah and so i think um i think when you're actually living it you you don't necessarily think it's not the norm mm. and then suddenly you get out of that bubble or you get out into a different and you're like, oh crap, yeah, it's it's, it's different. Right. And so then you either have to, you know, get it out there and be an advocate for it or mm. talk openly about it. But I also think, you know, the flip of that is not a lot of people want to report it. Right. Um, you know, they, they, they're more more tuned to, you know, what you think of the president than they are of, you know, just advocating for people's people's rights and people's lives and what you live daily. I mean I was You know, I was, it it took a long time. I, you know, I was way back in the day. It wasn't something, I mean, I was afraid I would lose recruits if I, you know, openly lived my life how I wanted to. So, you know, I think that, I think that's, you know, I think it's actually, your question is a good reminder that probably we as members of those communities, whatever they are, we need to probably advocate more for ourselves.
0: I think that's important. My number one reason, I'm getting emotional, I don't know why that is. my number one reason for wanting to meet you was that I just feel like I don't want this time to be a missed opportunity for that. And I feel like maybe it is. Like maybe, see Ali, when he was making progress and knew that he should, he was apparently African American. Mm -hmm. In other words, it wasn't just a behavior, it was what he looked like, right? And so, um, and the sort of discrimination he faced was uh, not covert or not, it was it was prevalent. Yeah. And so, um, in these cases I just feel like there's these very prominent women, yourself included, whether it's, I, mean, I don't know everybody's relationships, whether it's Megan or anybody else, right? That it's an opportunity here to say, hey, you know, I think when people root for you and they see you winning, somehow something becomes more mainstream or acceptable Mm -hmm. to people. Isn't that ironic in our culture? Like I really like her because she can kick a soccer ball or they won a World Cup so everything else is okay now too. And I just just hope that everybody realizes, because I was reading about you and it seems that you have had a remarkable relationship with Betsy. And um, we talked about the role your parents have played. Tell me a little bit about Betsy and your relationship and how you know That dynamic has worked as you've been doing all this winning in your life. How important has she been?
1: Um, gosh, now I'm going to get emotional. Um, <laughs> it, you know, in truth, I think I, I lived in the shadows until I met Betsy. Hmm. Um, I think I was, um, you know, just not, not comfortable, uh, uncertain that the, the career that I was building would be derailed. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was open about my relationship. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, meeting her, it was a confident um, leader, um, mm. you know, uh, someone who held themselves, you know, well, and you know, it was just someone I actually admired. I was like, wow. Mm. And it kind of made me go, okay, you know, that's, um, I felt, I, my self-esteem rose, you know, because yeah. again, I, it's, it was a different time back then, and mm-hmm. you were very much were pushed, pushed into the closet. Um, and then our decision to adopt Lily, yeah. that was the game changer. At that moment I realized there's no way I'm gonna not live my life openly so that this kid doesn't have to mm. you know, talk around something, mm. not be open, not run up to me and you know, you, you're never going to control a three, a two-year-old saying, "I have two mommies," right? So, <laughs> right, right. so you know, just just that that moment where you realized, "Gosh, I," you know, "this is this is me, and this is all of me." And what a
0: wonderful that is!
1: Uh, it was so liberating. It mm. was amazing. Um, so she
0: literally changed your life.
1: Both of them, yeah, changed my life for sure.
0: I'm reading about this essay that Lily wrote. Can you talk about that? Can you tell people? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Where, well, I I was reading. I believe that she wrote an essay at some point in school where she was. Um, she was in an orphanage for three months when you found her. Is that right? Yeah, Can you she was just an ta- orphan. Yeah. Just tell everybody about that. For the essay aside, she had evidently um, written about it in school. From when I was reading.
1: Yeah, she um, she's remarkable. So she was um, yeah she was born in Puebla in Mexico and um, you know we she yeah she was sort of left in the hospital and um, mm-hmm. and she was in an orphanage raised by nuns and um, we went through you know various processes to adopt her mm-hmm. and um, you know I mean she's. You know, even now she she'll say to me, you know, she'll look at me and I very much want this person to do whatever she wants in life yeah. um, You know, she's got great self-esteem, but you know, she'll she'll say to me. Oh, thank you mama You know, and, and she just she mm. generally, you know, loves I think the life she has and, and the opportunities she's had and um, You know, I've said to her, I was like we'll go back to Puebla And if you you know, if you want to seek out that's great and we'll be behind you and beside you and to find and out
0: who her is. Yeah, if, she, if that's yeah. what she wants
1: yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, I think she's, you know, I think, and I think right now, in especially in the climate we're in right now, here's, you know, here's a, yeah. a Mexican baby, yeah. orphan, immigrant coming here. You know, she's even, you know, I think she wrote about the fact that I was an immigrant. So she's, uh, you know, adopted by an immigrant. and That's just, exactly what she wrote. Yeah, yeah and it's right. just, you know, it just, and when you kind of look at the story and, and the fact that, people can contribute to this society, regardless of whether they were born here or not. That's, you know, that I think is pretty special.
0: I do too. I just think you're special. It's like, I'm reading about these extraordinary people. I love to open up their lives because I think, first off, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, women right now, or men listening to this, and some of the things you've shared will give them confidence. In some sense, you're kind of a a little bit of a Betsy in their life, Right. right? And that's what sports is about. That's what leadership's about. And that's the stuff that when you watch this stuff, uh, on TV, and you see these people achieving these things. They are humans. They do have real lives. They do struggle with confidence, or their life, or their relationships, and the dynamics that go along with living. And they're just like you. That's the point that I want to make to people. Yep. And go ahead, you're going to no, say something.
1: No, no. I, I think you know. I've, um, I, you know, I've, I've read some different different information and books and such. And you know, I've made a commitment that the more transparent I can be, the more people that you can. I mean, like, you know, I'm a female coach and people now, you know, we have a role model. But beyond that, it's like, yes, I think there are so many teenagers and young girls and young women mm-hmm. and boys out there that are um, still afraid of who they are and still limited. And, you know, I, it was, I'll i tell you a quick funny story. So Lily comes home and she's, she's talking and she says, you know, Ma, um, I think I'm going to get married at 25. I think <laughs> I'm going to have a kid at 30 because you guys are old. And she points to Betsy and I. And then I, she goes, You know, and my husband, I said, or a wife. And she goes, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm straight. You know? And it was just like, it was perfect, you know. Um, so I think that's, you know, oh, that's, that's awesome. the moments where, you know, I remember her, when we moved to Florida, she came home one day and she said, Oh, my friend so and so, her mama made me take her phone number off because I have two mommies. So the kid told be- uh, Lily that, hey, listen, you can't have you can't have Lily as a friend, she's you know, two mommies. And I said, well, what do you do about that, Lil? And she goes, you know, I'm just gonna help her understand that that um, two mommies is good and it's fine. I'm just gonna help that person. I'm not gonna be mean to her. That's and I'm beautiful. like, you know, that's, that's the gift you want to give and that's, that's what gift. you want to kind of, you know, promote. And access. that's
0: what, you know, I don't know, you may think I'm corny, but I just feel like the more you talk about these things, the more people get to put human faces on Agreed. issues like this, the more that's what begins to happen. Because I'm, the world's so divided right now, and, um, and I think it's actually nowhere near as divided once we're together and we understand each other as we think we are. I think we all love each other a great deal. I think, I think right. we all accept each other. The more we're in each other's presence and company and discuss things and there's understanding, people are actually good at their core.
1: I, I, that's what I believe. I, and do. Yeah, I, I do. I, I believe do. That. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think. I think sport. Sport is a unifier. I mean, it, it really is. And you know, I think back to you know, we actually during the World Cup, we got a message. Um, you know, independent celebrities mm. would send us messages, and we got a message from Billie Jean King, and it really touched me. Mm. You know, for many players in that room, they're probably not aware of mm. just what this lady did for yeah. sport. You know, the the change that she brought. And um, so I, I agree. I hope that this moment. You know, these that it's not just about this team, but I hope women right now, it's, it's, a, it's a springboard yes. to what we, uh, you know, what we potentially can do. Um, Thank
0: you for contributing to that.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome.
0: <laughs> so mind. I'll mess up if I don't ask you a couple more things here because people right. are like, all right, I got all that, Mr. Social Justice Warrior. And let's also <laughs> make sure that we've covered some stuff on the progress of the sport and stuff too. So I just wanna make sure um, that we've done that. I'm curious though, um, when you were at UCLA, we're going back just a minute, but I want to make sure we've covered it. That was really with, you know, Brandy Chastain and all the stuff that took place there with the the attention that that got. 99, did you, yep. Yeah, did you know, oh wow, this is changing. Like the sport is becoming something much bigger now during that time. Were you aware you were a part of some almost transitional history in sports during that time. I feel like that's when the sport, at least for most people here, was like, oh, we're really paying attention to this now. Yeah. Did you know that was happening?
1: Well, it was, you know, I, I and I think even, you know, even the players, I think you were surprised at just how captivating this mm-hmm. team was. And, and, you know, I think this is the other thing about, you know, I love soccer, but it, part of our, Part of the attraction of this uh, team is the personalities. Yeah. So I think it's it's hand in hand. If it was, you know, if, if they were all vanilla right. personalities and bland, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it it garners as much attention and it garners as much fan support. So I think it's a combination of of the people. So I think what happened in '99 was, yeah, I mean, it was uh, sort of the tipping point for our sport in terms mm-hmm. of suddenly you're filling out stadiums and, right. you know, because I look at all these federations around the world and they are begging, they need investment. Because ultimately, mm. that's you know sponsorship. So I think what what 99 did, as great as it was for creating um, heroes or shiros, you know, as you kind of say, <laughs> um, I think it was also that suddenly sponsors realized, you know, what we can put some money into this. And mm-hmm. when you have that, that ultimately is the gasoline. Mm-hmm. So I think it was, you know, it was in so many so many layers. It was uh, was important.
0: What and makes these really great players? Is it just talent? I mean, is there, or is there something that separates the best players, like the the two or three special ones whether it's alex or whoever it might be and uh, is, do you see something different i mean are they just faster stronger quicker or is there some separator with the best of the best
1: you know after um i was an assistant for pia with uh, the national team and then i took over youth uh, director of youth national teams and I wanted to share something with those young players because I've, I've seen fast players, I've seen technical players, smart players, you know, all, all the c- kind of components of, of sport. And so I actually emailed Abby Wombach, Carly Lloyd, some of the bigger players, Lindsay Tarpley, and I said at the time, and I said, give me the three things that mm. got you to where you were that weren't related to your sport. So like Abby Wombach's the best freaking header in the world, right? Okay all five of the women I reached out to had one common thing in there, and it was self-belief slash confidence. Mm. And so, you know, it seems mm-hmm. like the cliche, but if, you know, I mean, that is, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't put that out there and you can't believe in it, and you don't have that fire in your belly kind of thing, mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen. I've seen many, many technical players, you know, that, that don't make it to the national team or they're kind of come in and they don't succeed because, I think there has to be at some point a, an acknowledgement that, you know, ultimately we're all alone, right? Ultimately we are, you're on the pitch, in your moment, you've got your teammates around you, but you have to have the faith in yourself that you can do it. Mm. Um, so I think self-belief is is probably something um, that in those truly, true, great players, the players that elevate above the rest, I think that they have that in them. You know, mm. the I say this, you know what a penalty kick is, sure. it's a shootout at the end of a game, and when you think about who your penalty kick takers are and everyone kind of leans to oh, the player with the most confidence. In my head, I think about who can live with the miss. Whoa, it's good. So, because <laughs> you have to be able to live with that and to live with it, you've got to have that because ultimately yeah. the, it's the, you know, it's those negative moments that really define your character or your inner fortitude or whatever it is and it's who can live with the myth. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: That's so good. So yeah, that was. <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> That's so good. Um, oh, I love that. What's it feel like to win a World Cup? Like, take us in that for a second. <laughs> like, like, you just won the World Cup. What goes on in your body? Is it relief, like whew. Is yeah. it, or is it just joy? Or like, what is it really like? Cause I've asked other athletes this, and even in my own life things I've won. I think it surprises people sometimes what your actual real reaction is when it happens. What was yours were they different the first and second time, and what's it like?
1: um yeah, I actually do think it was it was um, I think the first time it was probably just a massive release of holy shit, we did it you
0: know like it was a, <laughs> yeah you
1: know because it was it was you know it was. I think this this time we were, we had a lot more time to plan and prepare. So you had a lot more things sort of in your back pocket. I think that one, it was like, you kind of pulled it off and it was that kind of surprise and exhilaration of that moment. Um, You know, and to be fair, like, because this is how I'm wired, literally the next morning after winning the World Cup in 2015, I'm sitting there with a pen and paper, looking at my roster spots for the the Olympics. The next morning. Yeah.
0: So, you know, like,
1: and, and so part of me, Going into this one, I said, I've got to try and pause and enjoy this more Mm. or pick my head up a little bit in terms of not just being so immersed. Mm. You know, I don't think I watched one other team play in in 2015. Here, I watched different games and I, you know, tried to... Because, yeah, because I think it's, one, you kind of know more what to expect. I think the the victory this time, um, it was a sense of accomplishment. It was a sense of, wow, you know, because I think it was just the... That so many processes, so many decisions mm. went into this, you know, happening. And I, I don't think I don't think the players know how many things is behind the scenes. I don't think that you know, no one obviously mm. outside of our bubble did. But you know, between me and my staff, there were so many things. So I think that was just a real sense of. I was actually talking to one of my assistants the other day, and he, you know, he, he just said if people could only know, you know, the the, the minutia, the decisions that go on behind that. Hmm. To 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 have this outcome, you know, hmm. it's um, it's crazy.
0: Couple more things, because we're on a time crunch. Is it worth it? All the sacrifice, all the work. Is it worth it?
1: Yes. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I, you know, I know I know how I'm wired, and um, you know, I think achievement is or, or a goal, or you know, and and I'm not even talking like because I said this to the players you know, the other day when I was back in with them, I said, you know, this journey has been more than medals and matches. Mm-hmm. You can't, it's not just about a match or a medal you get, it's, it's the moments, right? Like that's, that's what I'm gonna remember is those moments, and even the crappy moments. Mm-hmm. Because um, someone I was, I was talking with, and I don't know, it, this is kind of a cool analogy, it's yeah. probably been heard before, but they sort of said, you know, the beauty of the ocean is, the waves, is that you've got to enjoy the crest and the trough. And together, they work in harmony, right? And mm-hmm. so, when I sort of look back on this journey, it's the tough moments as well, are also as much a part of this journey as, mm. as the highs. Um, mm. You know, and somewhat even more so. Mm. Because, you know, when you're a coach, it's like, you know, you're always in somebody's crosshairs. It's the, the public, it's the media, it's the players. Yeah. You know, um, you're always in someone's crosshairs because it's not a position to step into to, to be popular. Yeah. Um, so I think I've just, now I've kind of matured to embrace all of it.
0: So wonderful. So, last thing, I've enjoyed this so much. Yeah, me too. I really have, <laughs> it's so good. What's uh, next for you? Like, you know, you make this transition.
1: I want to do a talk show.
0: You'd be really good at it, and something tells me people would uh, immediately listen. But in sincerity, do you know what you're gonna do next?
1: I don't have any immediate plans. I, um, I literally, you know, my, actually, my boss was great. You know, he just, he just kind of said, you know, I'm going to stay with U.S. Soccer and, and, and kind of in an ambassador role. But I think you just kind of after something that intensive, it's just kind of taking a pause. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know the immediacy. Um. Mm. It's just kind of just enjoying it and then. Um, I I know I can't sit still. I mean, I took my kid to the beach for three days, and after an hour sitting there, I'm sweating. I'm like, this is this sucks. I want to. What do I want to do? I want to be doing something, you know. So I can't really dial it down. So I I know it'll be something, but I I have no idea at this point.
0: I'm so grateful for today, and um, if I can ever do anything to help you, I really appreciate. I'm certainly uh, here for you, and um, I'm really grateful for who you are, what you stand for. And um, again, congratulations on all of your success. I just have an interesting feeling that um, the best chapter is in front of you. I think you're going to find an even bigger calling here going forward because I think it's there for you. And you have the experience and the humility uh, and the track record to really help a lot of people. So I hope today's show did that for all of you listening to it, by the way. Um, Because it certainly did for me. I don't often get emotional on my show, so it was a good thing this one wasn't on video. Thank thank you (laughs) so much. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Hey, everybody. Just a reminder on on social media, every single day, I run the max out two minute drill. If you want to engage with me, you want to fly on my jet, you want to get coached by me, you want my book, my gear, you never know. Maybe you get a call from Jill Ellis or somebody like that, one of the guests (laughs) on my show. Make sure that every day when I make a post, I make a post every day on Instagram, about 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern time, every single day. If you make a comment, you're in a daily drawing to get selected to get one of those things. You win three ways. You either make a comment, you make a comment on someone else's comment, and that's in the first two minutes. And if you miss the first two minutes, just make a comment on every post I make every day and we select winners. I'd love to engage with you, coach you, have you wearing my gear, reading my book, and doing all that kind of stuff? So well, God I'm bless gonna, you. Well, I'm gonna, guys. I'm
1: gonna interject and okay. say you've got, you've got a new fan right here.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> my Jill. Pleasure. So we got one more. There you go. Another follower, everybody. All right, everyone. Max out your life. Take care. This is the Ed Show.